Um, but let's start off today. We're talking, uh, we've been talking about a committed, dedicated life to Jesus. Are you a church goer? Are you a kingdom builder? What are you? If you just go to church once a week, well, that's good. I'm glad you're doing at least that. But you need to get into the fray. In other words, get in and be part of what God wants you to do. All right? Don't stand on the sidelines. Get in the game. Get in the game. All right? And so uh, along that theme, we're going to talk this still about three more weeks on this, this same theme. Um, but last week, I ended the message. I don't know if you remember, and some of you weren't here. Last week, we talked about keeping your attention on God. Keeping your attention on God. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> if you work, do you know how hard it is to keep your attention on God? You know, it's harder to keep your attention on God when you're not working. Because then your mind has got all kinds of capacity and it's, it's even harder. God wants us to keep our attention on him day and night. He wants us, it says, to, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. Day and night. The Bible says to meditate on the word of God day and night. God expects us to keep our attention on him. But the reason why we can't keep our attention on him is because we pay attention to that which we love. We pay attention to that which you love. Now, Valentine's is right around the corner. Um, and I remember when my wife and I were dating. We dated for about two years before we got married. All I could think about was my beautiful girlfriend, then fiancé, and then bride. All I could think about, day and night. I would sit there and daydream about her. We went to UTEP together, and, and I would find ways to, so that our paths would cross. She, she was an education major. I was an accounting major, and so we were on two opposite sides of the campus. Guess where I was always at every spare moment? I always happened to be on the teaching side of UTEP, just there, you know, right? I thought about her all the time. Now, here's the neat thing. We've been married 26 years, and... You know what? I still think about her. I'll be at work typing, and I'll just think, oh, she is so pretty. My word, that girl is so beautiful. You know, I can't get her off of my mind, and I'll call her in the middle of the day um, and say, hey, how's it going? There's nothing to say. Just wanted to hear your voice, you know. You know, you pay attention to that which you love. So... No condemnation, don't feel bad about yourself, but the reason why we don't pay attention to God, it's a love issue. It really is. The more you love God, the more you'll pay attention to God. All right? Well, that still leaves you in a quandary then, because <laughs> you're like, all right, how can I love God more so that I can pay more attention to him? Well, today that's the subject of our, of our little talk today. All right? So, does everybody have one of these sheets? All right. Before you leave, you don't need it right now, but before you leave, make sure you grab one. This sheet's unusual because it actually is on both sides. You have your reading on one side, and the back side is a very important list that I'd like you to reference this week and think about. And I'm going to get to it in just a second, so don't get too, too terribly distracted by it because we're going to go down that list today and think through it. Think out loud. All right. So, um, you know, we really need to be a little bit more self-aware, though, of what's inside of us. 
what do you love? What, what, you know, what drives your boat? <laughs> what captures your attention? We need to be a little bit more self-aware. We need to be able to look inside of ourselves and see what's in there that's capturing our attention. All right? Um, so Proverbs 20, verse 5, speaks to the self-awareness. And it says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. We're a complicated species <laughs> we really are if you look inside of any one of us there's a spaghetti mess of all kinds of weirdness of experiences of hurts of joys of fears of loves but i'll tell you at the very bottom of that spaghetti mess is what you love and it's buried it's hard to figure out what it is that you love so much because that that love drives you but it says here so a person's heart is deep waters it's a spaghetti mess but one of insight can reach out and make sense of all the stuff that's inside of you god expects you to be self-aware he expects you to psychoanalyze yourself somewhat and figure out what's inside if you Walk around, and we all do this, in a fog. I don't even know myself. I, don't, I can't even interpret my feelings today. Spend some time with God. Spend some time looking inside your heart, and you'll begin to find some things in there that might actually be a little bit shocking, some good things, some bad things. So we, we look inside our, ourselves, and we ask, uh, why do I do some of the things I do? Have you ever wondered about that? Why did I just fly off the handle? I don't even know where that came from. Why do I do some of the things that I do? It's frustrating. Here's another one. Why do I believe some of the things that I believe? I know that this is the truth, but the fact of the matter is I believe this. And my mind sees that there's two different conflicting things here, but my belief system is so strong and so unshakable, I don't know how to fix that. So why do I believe some of the things that I do? Um, what drives my motives? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? And maybe we're getting really deep here, but what drives my motives? I, you need and I need to understand what it is that drives our motives. So to begin this process of digging down deep into ourselves, see, the Bible is so useful for so many things. It's not just useful uh, for the spiritual, incredibly important. It's, imp it's good for practical stuff for your building your character and your personality and making you a better person, for giving you practical tips on finances. Did you know the Bible talks about your finances? It talks about things that will keep you healthy. The Bible is chuck full of important, vital information that you're not going to find in one other single source. It's all there put together. Not to mention it leads you to eternal life. <laughs> which is by far the most important thing. But if we're going to be here for 80 years, 70 years, less or more than that, why not have a good life? Why not? Why not learn to be the best parent that we can be? Why not learn to be the best spouse that we can be, the best friend that we can be, the best worker? The Bible teaches us all these good and vital, important things. So one of these places where you can start kind of digging into yourself and have a better self-understanding is in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. And I'll read it to you again. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. It says, the word of God, that's the Bible, is 
alive and active. And I, let me back up. The Word of God is not just the Bible, all right? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit whisper something into your ear and give you some direction, maybe a warning? I had a boss once who, um, a, a boss from a long time ago who told me, he said, and he wasn't a Christian, all right? He said, you know, Steve, I used to drink a six-pack of beer every single day. I'd get home. I'd sit down. This guy was a professional. He was a big wig at this company that I used to work at. And um, he said, every day I'd get home, pull out my six-pack, and drink all six beers, and it was, it was getting bad. And he said, you know what? One day I just had this thought, this might not be good for me. <laughs> and from one day to the next, he stopped. You know what my boss heard? He heard the voice of the Holy Spirit warning him. See, God doesn't just speak to those who've accepted him into this heart. God's out there talking to everybody. The Bible says that wisdom, the personification of the Holy Spirit, is at every street corner yelling at people. Read it in the Proverbs. It really literally means that. Yelling at people, trying to get people's attention. And so, thankfully, the Word of God is alive and active. Why is it alive? Because of the Holy Spirit. Sharper than any double-edged sword. I'm back in Hebrews 4 here. It penetrates even to dividing. And I want to pause there a second. The Word of God goes down deep into your heart, and it starts dividing things, picking things apart, showing you why you do what you do, what's driving you. So it divides. What does it divide? Soul and spirit. Then it says, you know what, for us unspiritual people, let me give you a physical idea. It divides joints and marrow. There's a physical picture that you can kind of comprehend. But then it goes on, it says, judging, it judges the thoughts and the heart, excuse me, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Huh. So you're telling me there's a difference between my thoughts and my attitudes? Well, I think we probably, if we think about that long enough, would all agree, yeah, there's, there's a difference there. It divides or judges between those two things. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. And if you come tonight, we're going to be talking about how God shines his big old spotlight in your life, and sometimes you don't like what you see. Remember, we used to have Billy who came here and unfortunately passed away. But, man, I remember the Sunday he walked in here. He's a, <laughs> he's a funny guy, man. He walks in, he says, Steve, I want to get my heart right with God. And he had been in the penitentiary. He had been, he'd had, all, he'd been had an interesting life. All right, but one day he asked, he said, God, would you show me what's in my heart? And he told me about the experience. He said, I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> I didn't like what I saw. You know what? God opens and lays bare your heart. And that can be a little bit scary sometimes because then we have to deal with what is uncovered there. But it says, uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I don't want to wait until I'm standing and the spotlight of the universe is on me and I'm standing before the throne of God and God asks me, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with the talents and the gifts that I gave you? What did you do? I would like to go ahead and be accountable now. And so if God wants to go ahead and start poking around in my life right now, I'm going to go ahead and let him do it because I don't want to wait until it's too late. Right? I want to give him that opportunity now. It's painful. It hurts. But I'm going to go ahead and go down that path because I don't want, I don't want it to be too late down the road. 
So let's go back to these two words, though, here in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, thoughts and attitudes, our thoughts and attitudes. And I'm no theologian, I'm no scholar, but I have the same access to the same resources that you do. I, t I tend to end up online in biblehub.com or .org, I can't remember, but Bible Hub, and I get a lot of insights of the Greek meaning of these, of these words. And, the, and the, the word thoughts in the Greek actually means inner passions, inner passions. It's not just the thoughts that go through your head, blah, blah, blah. No, it goes way, way down deep to the lowest level of your soul, if you will. And it is your inner passions. What's a passion? It's something that you love with all your heart. You love it, love it, love it, love it, all right? So much you could marry it. <laughs> no, you love it, all right? Here's another, here's another kind of a definitional uh, explanation. The emotional force that drives med meditation and reflection, the emotional force. Now, when you start talking about emotional, you know, I can say some words sometimes, and this has happened here. I'll say a word, and it means something to me, but it has an emotional meaning to you, all right? We've, we've seen that. Stuff like that happens. There's triggers in us, and they're way, way down deep, and it have to, they have to do with what we love. And we love them so much that, of course, we meditate on them. We reflect them. Have you ever had an obsessive thought keep going through your mind over and over, and you're just, ah, I wish I could turn my brain off so I could go to sleep at night? That's driven by something inside of you, a love, a passion that you have. And I'll, I'll read one more little definitional statement here. The inner affections driving reasoning. The inner affections. What's an affection? Something that you love again. Something. And so the deepest things in you is not your belief system, all right? It's not your attitude. It's what you love. That determines everything that goes on in your life. So now we've talked about your loves. Let's come up one layer above that. Cause see, we start layering inside of our souls, our minds, our psyches, whatever you want to call it. It's th there's a layer right above that, and it's our what's referred to as our attitudes. And our attitudes here in the Greek really have to do with your motives, with your motives, your purpose, your intentions. And I always tell people, don't judge people based on what you think their motives are. That is going to get people so irritated and so annoyed. You take people and what they say based on their face, face value and don't start questioning people's motives. That drives people crazy whenever you start. So right below, your, right above your loves, then that starts driving your motives. And all of this will make a lot more sense as we start giving some examples. This is here in the Bible. It explains the layers and the levels that are inside of us that make us such so, so complex sometimes. But then when you put all of this together, your love and then your motives, that becomes your belief system. That's your belief system. And I'll give you another word, opinion. That becomes your opinion. There is nothing stronger in a person than their opinion. <laughs> you can't change people's opinions. Opinions are changed from the inside out, never from the outside in. That's why people vote the way that they vote. Their opinion is blah, 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 and you're not going to change that. There's these swing voters that maybe they haven't gotten their opinions quite set, but once it gets set, it's stuck. You can't 
change people's opinions. Only God can change people, people's opinions, and that's their belief system. So think about this. Your love, then your, uh, your motives, and then kind of your belief or your opinions. That's, that's, if you start seeing yourself that way, you can make a lot more sense of why you behave the way that you behave. So what I'd like to do is give a list, and if you have your paper, you can follow along with me. I think, I think it's in the same order. A list of imperfect loves. A list of imperfect inner loves. Imperfect meaning you love something other than God. Because <laughs> the perfect love is the love of God and his love for you. Well, actually, the perfect love is his love for you and then your reciprocation of that. So let's go through this list. Um, the first one is a love to be famous. Not everybody has these loves. Some of these you'll get, some of them you want. But my intention here is to uncover the opinions, uncover the beliefs, uncover the motives, and get down to the root of the problem, the root being your love. So some folks love to be famous. And what that does is it drives their motives. When you want to be famous and you happen to be a good writer, you will write like crazy because you want your writing to make you famous. Does that make sense? Your love translates into your motives and your purpose, and that will drive you. Um, so it's, it's a desire to be adored. When you want to be famous, you want to be adored because of your gifts and talents. You want the whole world to see how incredibly gifted you are. Some uh, have the desire uh, or the love to look handsome and beautiful. And they, the, the goal here is to attract people with their appearance. Now, the older you get, uh, the less this love is a feasible thing, right? Because we just get uglier and droopier and, and you know, <laughs> unless, of course, you have money, then you can go and have surgeries and maybe that'll, that'll continue on. But let me tell you what, some people have this genuine desire to, to, to attract people because of their appearance. Here's another one. A love to be cool. And um, this is a big problem, not only with young people. This is a big problem with adults. We, many of us, have a desire to be, a cool, be, be cool. And that leads into the love. You know, loving people and being cool are to two totally different opposite sides of the spectrum. You can't be cool and love people, all right? You, when, you, when you let go of your coolness, you say, I don't care what people think about me. I just want to be friends with people. I want to love people. I want to help people. You let go of your coolness, right? And I find it interesting, each of these uh, famous, your looks, coolness, whatever, these are idols. See, these are idols, and they're sitting in our hearts, and the only thing that gives them power is our love for them. You can't go and take this idol out of your heart and that idol out of this. No, you take the love for the idol out of your heart. That's what you do. And when you take the love out of your heart for that idol, that idol loses its power and just disappears into thin air. All right? Don't focus on the idol. Focus on your love for the idol. That's what we need to focus on. But let's read on here. A love to be a martyr. All right? This is someone who... Uh, wants to be noticed because they visibly work harder and sacrifice more than anybody else, and they just love being a martyr. Do you know anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. All right. <laughs> All right. Some people love to be secure, 
And this has to do a lot of times with financial or what, what not, not only for the present, but for the future. And they love a sense of security and they won't let go of that at any cost. And sometimes God says, I want, I want you to let go of that. Let go of that love of security. I want to be your security. I want to be the one that you run to whenever you need something. All right, so love for security. A love for power and control. And I've seen this. Man, this is such a dangerous one. This is when you have to be in charge and in control of what people say. Uh, you have to be in control of your environment. And anybody that crosses you, uh, it gets thrown out of your world because you're not in charge. And we, got, we all, I think, probably have some level of this in us, but we got to be really careful because people who have to be uh, in, in charge and in control uh, dampen the spirits of those around them because they can't make decisions for themselves. There's some parents that do this to their kids, always deciding for their kids, always trying to control what their kids do, and, and even into adulthood. This is a very dangerous love. This is a very dangerous love. We can't be, there's only one who's in control, and that's God. He's the only one who is in control, and we have to give control to him. The love to be entertained. And this is a, a, a need for constant feeding of the fantasies that might be in your mind or the fun that's in your mind or this false sense of victory that video games give you. You know, it's terrible. Here's a, you know, a terribly unathletic kid playing you know, some sports game and winning all the time. He starts thinking that he's really good. And it's, it's not amounting to a hill of beans, all right? Because video games aren't going to get you anywhere in life unless you may end up in the Air Force flying a drone or something. But that's, that's a pretty unusual thing, all right? Video games are okay to an extent, but don't love entertainment so much that you can't live in the real world. Do my kids play video games? Absolutely. Do I play video games? Absolutely. I'm just saying don't love it. Don't love it so much that you can't live your life. Um, that goes for watching YouTube videos of other people's lives so much as you can't live your own life, all right? So the love uh, to have this image of success, an aura, an air of success that people look at me and think, I am so successful and loving that so much to be admired for my success. Well, that could be a real problem. A love for order and organization. Is order and organization bad? No, of course it's not. But when you are so obsessively, uh, compulsively obsessed over order that nobody can move a single thing in your house or your office has to be immaculate, nobody can even walk in and sit down, that's, an, that's a bad love. That's a bad love and can lead to other problems. And again, it has a lot to do with, with control as well. When you love intelligence and you see yourself higher than others because of how smart you are, that could be a problem. Here's one, though. You love to hide. And I'm not going to ask how many hiders we have in here. But God doesn't want you to hide. He doesn't want you to hide. Uh, the, the Bible says he's not given you a spirit of timidity. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Come out from your shadows and stop hiding. What are you hiding from? Look at this. You shy away from discomfort, responsibility, and accountability when you hide. And believe me, I've had those days where I want to go hide my, my head under a pillow and not come out. I understand that. We all have that. But you can't live that way. That's not realistic. So you look for the comfort of, of obscurity. And that's, God doesn't want you to live in obscurity. He wants you to live in the light of his presence. 
doing the things that he wants you to do, fulfilling your purpose in this life. The love for perfection, the perfection of self-righteousness. Deserving, you want to deserve the admiration of God and deserve the admiration of people. This is a big time problem. There's nothing good about this one, by the way. Some of these, you, you have to have them. You have to have order and you know, uh, organization and, and you have to have some level of security and it's okay to be entertained. But the perfection of self-righteousness is terrible. It's terrible, and that's what religion promotes. That's not what God promotes. He gave his righteousness to us, and, and therefore he makes us per, uh, perfect. Um, the love for lust, to pursue some level of a good sensation, and we always associate lust with you know sensual desires. There's a host of lusts that you can have. Lust to eat good food, that's my problem. You know, lust to uh, thrill seekers, I noted this one here. Somebody's constantly got to have a high. Gotta ha they may not be taking drugs, but they got to be jumping out of airplanes or bungee jumping or doing something crazy to get that high. That's not godly. That love, that affection will drive your motives, drive your beliefs and opinions, and get you to a place where you don't need to be. The love for materiality and wealth, we won't talk too much about that. It's an obvious one. The love to have all the answers. You know what? You don't need to know the why for everything. Sometimes you look up at God and say, God, you're in charge, and as long as you're in charge, I don't need to understand everything. We really need to, we need to let go of that love. We don't need to know all the answers. We tr that's what trusting God is all about, saying, God, I trust that you know why that happened, and I'm going to leave it in your hands. You know, most often God's going to explain to us and give us our, the answers to our questions in, in due time, but we shouldn't have to have all the answers. That was a very freeing point in my life when I came to that realization. The love to be associated with influencers. Uh, you know, they know me, therefore I must be something special. And then the love to conquer. And that's one that I've struggled with throughout my life as well, is wanting to accomplish, accomplish, be performance-driven. Listen to this verse, Matthew 6, 24. Let me stop there. Does anybody identify with any one of those? All right. We're already peeling back the layers then. We're getting there, Daisha. That's good, man. <laughs> We're getting there. This is what we want to do is peel back the layers and see what's at the bottom of the pile that's affecting us so much. But in Matthew 6, 24, it says, no one can serve two masters, i.e., or in other words, you can't have two loves. You can't love God and, and any one of these other things here. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God, and he gives the example of money. You can't do it. And here's, here's the conclusion I draw to this. Every love comes with a, uh, an opposing hatred. <laughs> Every love comes with an opposing hatred. If you love God, you're going to hate sin. If you love sin, you're going to hate God. It, it just works that way. And it may not be that way from day one, but eventually it gets to be that way because the, the, the stronger your love is for something, it polarizes you from the other things that you could love. And I'll tell you this, love is the most powerful thing in the whole wide world, okay? Now, I used to think, um, you know, I came from a, a Pentecostal background where I used to think in the power of God. You pray for somebody and boom, you know, they might fall down on the ground or their life is transformed and turned around and that's the power of God. Well, God 
yeah, sometimes he does that, but the most powerful thing in the whole wide world is the love of God. It's the most powerful, life-changing thing in the world. When somebody realizes that God loves them, their life turns around. It's the most power. I wouldn't trade the love of God for anything in the whole wide world. I want to throw myself, I've said this a million times, in the ocean of God's love and never, ever get out. I want to drown in there and never come out again. Love, love, love. Just pour it in me. Because you know what? I can't love until I've received God's love. This is love. Not that I loved him first, but that he loved me first. Amen? So love is the most powerful thing, but check this out. It's powerful in another sense as well. Once your heart is gripped with love, a love for an imperfect thing, as we've mentioned this list, you can't get free. You're like that monkey. You know those monkey traps in Africa where the monkey reaches into a little hole in a box, gets his hand in, gets the whatever he's trying to, and then his hand's too big and he can't get out. You know why he can't get out? Because he loves what's in his hand. And you and I were the same thing. That love is powerful it grips you and there's only one way to get free and i'm going to share with that one in just a second but let me give you my personal testimony so that hopefully it makes more sense about two or three weeks ago i came to realize that i had a love inside of me all right and um i'm embarrassed but i'm going to share it with you all right so that you can relate and and you can see hey this is recent for me you, go go forth on your path, you know, get rid of your love that's, that, that you need to get rid of. But um, I, I want to be famous. I'd love to be famous. Not in a church setting, not to have a big church. I would love to be famous. I have a full-time business job. I'd love to be famous in the business world. I would like to write articles and be known and speak in big big venues about the things that I've learned about business. There, there you have it. <laughs> and about three weeks ago, it came to my mind, that's driving my motives and purposes quite a bit. I was, and it's not bad to write articles, but I was writing some business articles and getting on the social media platform for business people, LinkedIn, and getting on there and sharing things and, and feeling really good about myself. And God slowed me down and said, why, why is this so important to you? And as I started praying and thinking about it, weeks of digging down deep, I said to my wife, you know what? Down deep inside, I think I want to be famous. This was just three or four weeks ago. I want to be famous. And she said, you think? <laughs> she said, it's not that deep. <laughs> Dead serious. That's what she said. Um, but you know what? It was a wake-up call for me. It was a wake-up call. And you know what I did? I burned the bridge. I burned the bridge. Right now, it's for some reason linked in the social media platform is an issue for me. So I said, you know what? I'm taking it off my phone, taking it off this. I'm not going to look at it unless I, there's one little thing that I need in there, but that's it. I burned the bridges. I have felt so free. So free. I've noticed that my purposes and my motives, that second layer. So it's like this. You know that, that um, parable? where that guy is spreading seed all over the place. Some of it lands on the path. Some of it lands, you know, with rocks, thorns. The rocks are buried under the, the sand or the soil, and, it, you know, the seed tries to sprout, and, and it can't get roots because the rock. This has been so graphic to me 
God digs down and pulls the rock out. And that's the love. He pulls the rock out and he leaves this gaping hole in your soul. Because <laughs> that rock's been there forever, you know? It's been there with me, with me probably since I was born. And now there's this massive, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, just hole, all right? Um, and God then starts filling that hole with something new. A love for God. A love for God. And when he puts his love into that gaping hole, then all of a sudden your motives and your purposes and all the things of your heart, your plans, they change. Your plans change because your love has changed. And when your plans and your purposes, your motives change, your belief system starts changing and your opinions start changing. And all of a sudden, you can start believing for things that you couldn't believe before. You start having hope that you didn't have before. You start having uh, just a freedom, like I'm breathing the breath, the fresh breath of air of heaven. It's wonderful. So this is recent for me, and I encourage you, let God take this reading list, all right, back in front, read the word as described here, and let God do a work in your life this week. Let God do a work in your life this week. Now, once you get rid of these imperfect loves, then you will begin to be able to love God with all your heart. Have you ever wondered, why don't I feel any love for God? I feel kind of guilty here. I should be loving God more, and I don't. Why? Because these other loves are in there. And so God pulls them out, and we'll talk about how to do that in a second. Pulls them out, and all of a sudden, I'm able to love God more than I've ever loved him before. Literally. I mean, I feel his presence. I feel free. I love God. I want to do what God wants me to do. It's so incredibly freeing. And so uh, let me read you a couple of scriptures as we finish up here. 1 John 4.18. Listen to this. There is no fear in love. In what love? Perfect love. The love of God. There's no fear in love, but perfect love versus imperfect loves drives out all fears. So here's a telltale sign if you have something that you love inside of you that you haven't been focusing on, didn't realize it was there, if you're a fearful person, there's for sure an imperfect love inside of you. There's for sure an imperfect love inside of you. And you need to start asking the Holy Spirit to shine his big old heavenly light and figure out what that is so we can dig that rock out. And you can stop being fearful. Isn't that powerful? You don't have to be fearful the rest of your life. The other side of this is that giddy excitement that these loves produce, whatever it might be. You know, when you have that giddy excitement or have fear, it shows there's an imperfect love inside of you that God wants to help you dig out. So anyone who fears, as it continues in 1 John 4:18, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So let's start digging up some of these rocks with God's help. So I'm going to share with you how to do that. Um, here's half the battle is figuring out what it is. All right, you have a list. I'm sure it's not a comprehensive list. There's probably other loves on that, that aren't on there, but those are all the ones that I've struggled with, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Things that I've seen in my life, all right? And um, I'm sure we have a, a multitude of, of different things that we love. But half the battle is realizing that one thing. What is it? 
and, and just spending some time praying. Look on our list, um, on that reading list, I say things like spend some time on Monday praying and asking God to show you what your deepest loves are. He can show you. He will show you if you ask him. He'll show you. Um, on Tuesday, be brutally honest with yourself and journalize what you do to try to get people's attention. See, we need to get away from getting people's attention and start trying to get God's attention. See, that's, that's what we want to switch it out. On Wednesday, fast and pray. And I challenge everybody here today, fast and pray on Wednesday. You, you don't have to fast food. It could be fast from entertainment. If you have a job, don't fast from your work, all right? <laughs> but fast from something on Wednesday and say, you know what? God, I want to isolate the affections of my heart. I want, to sh I want you to show me what it is that I'm loving instead of you. Then I say on Thursday, meditate and imagine yourself standing before the cross, of, of, uh, cross where Christ was hanging. And there you are with all your nasty loves, <laughs> your rocks hanging off of you, and saying, Jesus, I repent. All the goodness of God is standing here before me. Who am I to hold on to these loves? I repent. Now, see, there's a difference between repentance and self-pity. When you repent, you feel joyful. Now, if you're self-pity, you feel sad. But this is saying, God, I repent. I'm throwing this stuff off. You're going to be joyful. Repentance leads to joy. It's absolutely amazing. And then I read this story of Josiah on Friday, 2 Kings 22 and 23. But journalize what radical things you're willing to do to cut these loves out of your life. Remember what I did? I took some things off my phone. I cut it. I, I sliced it out of my life. And we have to, that's what repentance does. It, you're looking this way. Repentance says, I'm turning this way. I'm going away from it. I'm not going to go towards it anymore. I'm not going to tempt myself anymore with this stuff. And so we realize, we acknowledge and we simply rep repent by staring at Jesus' goodness, dying on the cross just for me, and it makes us want to get away from this stuff. And then we begin to run away from fame. It was really funny. <laughs> well, run away from your love. I was running away from fame, but I was on a phone call this, this week, and um, I won't go into all the details, but this person was praising what I was doing. Oh, you, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so thankful. This is great. You did great. Well, the, I wasn't the one that was, I was doing it, but it was someone else's idea. And I told God, I want to run away from taking the credit. I want to run away from fame. I'm running away from it. I'm not running to it anymore. And so on the call, I said, oh, it wasn't my idea. It was, you know, I'm just somebody else's leadership. And by the way, I didn't do any of the work. It was these other three people. I ran away from it. Do you see what I mean? So whenever you identify the love that you have in your heart, run away from it. Do the opposite, and you will be so set free. You'll be so set free. So I'll end with this um, story, and it's um, on Thursday's reading. So good. Um, there's this lady who came uh, where Jesus was at, and she was, uh, uh, I guess, been pretty promiscuous throughout her life. And she came and uh, Jesus is eating there. They didn't sit on chairs before. They'd kind of recline with their feet kind of out to one side. She came, and she began to cry over his feet, and she poured perfume on his feet. She took her hair and wiped his feet. Um, it's just an amazing act of worship. 
you know, and, and we need to envision ourselves sometimes doing, doing these sorts of things to the Lord or for the Lord. But it says here, Jesus um, talks to his host of, the, of where he was eating there, and he said, he says, many a, she's had many sins forgiven. Um, well, let me just read this, read the verse entirely. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. Look at this. Now, forgiveness and repentance go hand in hand. So in essence, Jesus was saying, she repented big time, and look at the love that flowed into her life as a result of that. Look at the love that flowed into her life simply because she repented big time. Not little time, big time. All right, he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So you can keep all these rocks in your life and be weighed down. You're not going to know the love of God. You won't experience the love of God. But with big repentance comes big forgiveness, and big forgiveness comes loads of love. Perfect love that drives out all your fears. Let's pray.